1: Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to this week's edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Ian Fisher, your host today, and we're recording this episode on Thursday, April 9th, but you'll be listening to the show sometime next year on April 16th. Uh, Yeah, that's right. We're living each week, one year at a time these days. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast regularly, you might not know that we've been recording videos of all of our segments for the last month or so. And what that means is that there's always an awkward moment at the start of the segment where our viewers can see our guest hanging out on screen with no introduction. And to fix that problem, I'm going to say hey to Joy Biscournet, who's on screen with us right now and will be our guest for the first segment. Hey there, Joy. Hey, Ian. So, Joy, I'm going to do a little bit more housekeeping, but I didn't want you to have to go unacknowledged for too long. So I hope that's okay. Sure, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. So we've got a great show for you today. Um, We'll be talking about the concept of fit with our finance experts in our final segment today. Um, Fit is a concept that gets bandied about quite regularly when we're talking about choosing a college, but we don't always apply it to a discussion of finances. So we'll address why you should. And in our second segment, we're going to spend our office hours talking about what you can do when you don't like any of the colleges where you've been accepted. What what options are available? We think there are other pathways ahead if you're in that boat. But first, we want to assume that you do like some of the options that are available to you, that you are happy with some of your choices. And and that's why Joy is here. Um, Joy, you and I were participants in a webinar last week where we unpacked a lot of questions about making the final decision. So let's start with just the absolute basics. For those students who are fortunate enough to have a long list of acceptances, let's say five, six schools, they they've done a great job with their list. Um they might have a difficult choice ahead of them. How would you recommend that they begin?
2: Sure. That's a that's a great place to start. And and first I wanted to say congratulations to yeah. everyone who's uh, listening and who has those acceptances. Um, even though we're living in a time of uncertainty, this is something to celebrate. So Definitely. I, I want to focus on that um, because this is exciting. Even though prom may be canceled, graduation may have been postponed, this is still a big decision. So. Right. Congrats. Um, so in thinking about this final decision, if you've got three, four, five, six decisions, now is really the time to start to go back and think about why you liked these schools in the first place and then really start to dig deeper Um yeah. If you're trying to compare what your uh, academic program is going to be like, this is a great time to really dive into the course catalogs that are online and to see what your academic program is going to be like. You know, If you're studying um, you know, English literature, what is that going to be like from one school to another? Same if you're studying engineering or political science. Yes, the degree or the major might have the same name, but there's going to be variety in the courses that you take. And that's not only in the major, as you and I know, having been through this and and knowing a lot about different colleges, but there are different types of programs. You know, Are you going to a school that has a core curriculum where, uh, or thinking about a school that has a core curriculum where every student has to take certain courses in addition to their major, in in order to graduate? Or are there some general education requirements? Or is it an open curriculum where you can just focus on what you want? So in thinking about what your coursework is going to be like over the course of four years and the day-to-day, you really need to think about what type of of person are you? How do you like to study? What what really engages you? Is it that broad-based education and being able to take a deep dive into one particular subject or do you just want to get in there right away and just start to study what you want? That's right. So, I think that's a big part of it.
1: Yeah, you know, I tell I'm working with a lot of juniors right now who are starting their research process and I sort of tell them some of these Um, questions that you have around the college major and requirements to graduate are questions that you can't really look at for 30 schools at a time, 35 schools at a time. But when you're a senior and you're making the final decision, you're only really looking at a handful of schools, maybe three, five, seven. You can go look at the course catalog for all of those schools. And we know, Joy, that people have a lot of time on their hands right now. I just spoke with one of my students earlier today and he said, nothing. I got nothing but time and energy, so I'm glad to put it to good use. Uh, right. So, you know, you can absolutely start looking around on those catalogs, investigating a little bit of information about what the actual classes kind of look like. Um, what about um, sort of personal perspective and testimonials from, you know students that you might meet on a tour if you're able to visit campus from admission officers who might be staffing receptions, you know those things aren't happening uh, at least not in the way that they traditionally have right What would you recommend for for students on that front?
2: Um, reach out to the college admission offices even though they might be closed to visitors. Uh, those admissions officers are still working. They're most likely working from home. But this is a big time of year for them. This is when they're looking to bring in that freshman class. And they're excited. I I remember from my time in admissions, I loved April because I got to meet with students on campus. I was also traveling to different parts of the country to host admitted student receptions. So they're recruiters. They're looking to bring students to their campuses. So the fact that students can't come to campus, that none of us can really travel right now doesn't mean that those conversations can't happen. And I think what a lot of families don't realize is that they can call the admission office and those are calls are welcome. So reach out to the admission office or if you have an email from your regional admission officer, reach out to that individual and say, you know what? can I be put in touch with a student from um, that's interested in um, sociology because that's what I want to study? Or maybe, and if you're going from far away or thinking about going from uh, far away, see if you could talk to a student from your home state that is, yeah. goes to that school. They're that's happy to be put in touch. Um, also see if you can speak with faculty. If you've got definite plans for what you want from your academic experience, if you're looking to do research and you want to know how early can I start to do that research, see if you can speak to faculty members. They want vibrant, engaged students in their classes. So if you can speak to them, then they'll know they can talk to you Part of the reason why I chose my uh, my undergraduate experience at Lafayette was because the director of engineering reached out to me and we had a conversation about what my experience would be like going to an engineering program at a liberal
1: arts school. Yeah. And, and those, I think those experiences can be really meaningful. I would also say that, you know, as a student, be strategic about the way that you're reaching out and how frequently you're doing it. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, I'm getting the picture of the the person in the ice cream shop who asked to, to taste every single flavor <laughs> and maybe a second try. And it's like, yeah. look, come on, man. Like you really don't want to get that cone. Like, what are mm-hmm. you doing? So, you know, try and narrow things down a little bit. You know, do you want maybe mint chocolate chip or cookie dough? And so you're going to, taste those two things. I think that same kind of thing here. We want to have a smaller number of schools to choose from. So you don't need to reach out to the admission office at every single school you've gotten into.
3: No.
1: Just think about what are your top two or three choices? What's it going to come down to? Um, and you know, Joy, you and I are not experts on the college finance side of the picture, but we will be talking in the third segment about financial fit as it pertains to juniors who are researching colleges, I just want to say we'll also touch a little bit on financial fit as it pertains to seniors right now. So stick around for that that final segment, and we'll come back to that finance piece, because I know that that's a huge part of this, uh, especially given the current state of affairs uh, for Definitely. families to think about.
2: Definitely.
1: Uh, um, I want to sort of jump into some, a little bit of the nuts and bolts around um you know, other other option. We've got the waitlist as this sort of thing that's hanging over um, a lot of students. In some cases, it can often be the case that you've been waitlisted at a school that was your first choice, or maybe it's a school you really want to strongly consider. Um, when does the sort of waitlist come into the process, and what role does a waitlisted college play? in the kind of research that you are discussing right now. Do I want to research it at the same level of intensity and interest as I do for the schools where I've gotten in, or does it take a backseat to those schools?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of students do think about the wait list. The wait list doesn't come into play for the most part until after students have to deposit until after they make that final decision. Right. So y- Yes, you might have that school in the back of your mind to say, that was my first choice and I'm on the waiting list. But that school honestly is not an option for you right now because you haven't been admitted. So what's most important is to focus on the schools where you have received offers of admission and narrow those down to those two or three schools that you're going to do that research or reach out to the colleges or talk to current students to get a sense Yeah because you need to make a decision for the most part by May 1. That's when students decide where they're going to go. The waitlist is used for colleges after they know what the size of their incoming class is, And they won't know that until all of those deposits are in and counted after May 1. So it's most important is that you make a decision from an for an offer that you have because That's right. you want to be able to go somewhere in the fall. Yeah. So the way the waitlist comes into play is colleges use it strategically to fill the needs of the incoming freshman class. So they're looking to if they're looking to balance it out for geographic diversity. Maybe they say, oh, we'd really like to pull some more kids in from the West Coast if it's an East Coast school. So kids that are on the West Coast, they're going to be the focus of the wait list in terms of who are they're looking for. Wait lists are not ranked. It's not first come first serve. You know, if they're looking to balance out the um, male to female ratio, then and they need more men. Well, then if you're a guy, you're you're in the spotlight. That's right.
1: That's right.
2: So it really depends on the needs of the incoming class from the perspective of the college.
1: Yeah, I think you know, when you're in the admission process through the winter and early spring, you're playing sort of a theoretical numbers game where you're saying, okay, if we admit this many students, a certain percentage will accept our offer. And so we're we're trying to get as close as we can to the target. When we get to the wait list. Point of the process, we can actually count who is in our class, who has actually sent an enrollment deposit, and what are we missing? What are some things that we need to add in order to make this class representative of what we're looking for when we set our targets months and months and months ago? So there, there's no real way to rank the wait list. And you know, what I'm hearing you say is that researching and considering a waitlisted school really needs to be secondary from those options that are front and center. And I think that that is a very important takeaway here is a lot of students will say, well, I got into school A, school B, and school C, and I'm on the waitlist at school D. And they treat it as sort of an an equal option there. Um, You don't want to do that. Yeah. You want to really think about it as you've got three choices, And you might have to prepare yourself mentally for if that waitlist school comes calling, what are you going to say? But you shouldn't be diving in in deep research um, if you're on the waitlist at a particular school.
2: Yeah, I would say make that decision first of where you're where you're intending to enroll. And then you can consider that waitlist school and doing some research just to say you're prepared in case that call comes in or you receive that email um, with an offer. But you can't, that's no way a guarantee.
1: That's right. What are some of the things that, I mean, I don't know that the, we've ever spoken about this before, but are there under-researched or underutilized factors in making a final college decision that students don't often turn to? I mean, I think, you know, a lot of students think about, are I going to look at the major? I might look at, you know, certain aspects of location. Um, I might call an admission officer or a college professor, Are there things that students tend not to look at that can actually be meaningful in in pointing in a particular direction?
2: I think um, they don't trust their guts enough sometimes. Like you don't trust your gut. You get to a point, if you can narrow it down to two schools that you're really interested in, then I think it's time that you can trust your gut because you've done all of that research. And I think a lot of times students think, well, there has to be one right answer, and I have. If I do enough research and I talk to enough people, then I'll I'll know what it is. I'll get the right, right answer. That's but right. But I think trusting yourself and knowing all the that you did in this process, because if you think about it, most students have been in this process for about eighteen months. You know what's right for you, and trusting your gut, really knowing who you are and where you're going to succeed for yourself. I think that's underutilized or or not given enough weight at times once all the research is done. Where are you going to picture yourself when you pack up all your stuff in August and you move in to your dorm room and you make it your home away from home and your parents leave? They give you hugs and kisses and they say, good luck. Where are you going to take a deep breath and say, I'm excited? And a little bit comes from that gut. I think.
1: I think I think you're right. I mean, I think that you know we sometimes treat this as though if I get into this school, then I just sort of have to plug myself in, and I'm going to get a particular outcome. And yeah. that's not how it works at all. It's really a matter of helping to bring you out at your very best. And so, the gut is really really a powerful factor in making sure that when you start that experience, as you just described, you're invested in being there. You want to be there. Um, And that's why, you know, when people come and ask us, Joy, um, which school should I choose? You know, that's not something that we can do, even as people that know these colleges really well. I can say, well, I know which school I would choose for me, but I'm certainly not going to be able to say you should go to this college, or you should choose this option because it's very dependent on who that student is. Just like, you know, somebody asking, who should I go to the prom with? You know, that's not really something you want to outsource to another party, right? You want to be the one that's in the position to make that choice. Um, Do you have any other, are there you know, there, we got about 30 seconds, another minute. Are, are there any other smaller things that maybe students can look at? I mean, we had, we sort of, uh, in advance talked about AP and IB credit. I don't know if that's something you're thinking about. Um, anything else that students should be looking at here?
2: Yeah, I think they can look at, um, how the work that they've done in high school is going to be a benefit in college in terms of your, I, um, your IB or AP exam scores that can be used for credit that's part of the research that you can do. Um, I also think that you can tap into school's social media. Um, look at their Instagram accounts. Look at they have a Facebook page for admitted students in those ways that you can get a sense of the culture and, and the energy of a campus and what's important to them in terms of um, that fit. Can you see yourself there? But there are things like if you get a four or five on an AP, how will that exam, how will that uh, give you credit? Because that's not the same at every school. That's so right. if you're thinking about how you might get ahead um, and get some of those core courses or general education requirements out of the way, you'll want to look on, usually it's the registrar site um, that can give you information about uh, exam results and how they they are used for credit.
1: Yeah, I think I think some of that pragmatic consideration should come into play at some point. So, you know, that that's a, a nice little piece to to investigate, especially if that's an important part of what your decision making process is going to look like. So, Joy, thanks a lot for coming on the show today for for both our listeners and our viewers. I really enjoyed. Uh, it's always great to see a friendly face uh, here on the show. <laughs> Indeed. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, um, Ian. Folks, yeah, you got it. When we come back, we're going to talk about what you can do if you don't actually like any of the college options available to you and you're feeling lukewarm. So if you're struggling to find the path ahead, uh, you won't want to miss the next segment. Don't go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in.
5: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to
1: the show. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. Now, in our last segment... We talked about making the final decision, and that can be a really pleasant process when you've got some great opportunities in front of you. you got some schools that you really liked. Sometimes it can actually be a little bit challenging if you've gotten into more schools than you thought you would, and, and now all of a sudden you're juggling a lot of different options. But there are occasionally times when you don't particularly like the college options that you have, whether that's because you didn't get into some of the schools that you'd hoped or or your preferences have changed since you applied in the fall. And joining us today to talk about possible pathways ahead in this kind of scenario is our favorite doctor who gives us a a dose of the medicine, the reality, uh, which is my colleague Jennifer Simons coming to us from Massachusetts. Hey, Jen.
3: Hey, Ian. It's good to hear your voice.
1: It's great to hear your voice as well. and and i I love you for this segment because I think you both bring a toughness and a bit of love to this process, to this this point in the process, which can be really challenging. What would you say to a student who is in the middle of April, has heard back from all their schools the decisions have not come that they'd hoped they were going to get? Um, where do you start as a counselor?
3: Were. Um, well I think first you have to do an autopsy. You have to really understand why you weren't accepted. Let's let's assume like sort of the worst, maybe. I don't know that there is a worst, but let's assume like the sort of most dramatic scenario, which is You were not accepted to any of the schools to which you applied, which, you know, certainly can happen. And you have to ask yourself the question, um, hopefully in communication with your college counselor at school or with us or somebody to help you that understands this process, why didn't I get accepted to any of the schools? Did I completely overshoot, which is certainly a possibility, um, or, you know, did I apply for uber-popular majors at uber-popular... I mean, you, you really have to try to sit down with yourself and dissect the process and know that if you applied to all schools, which sometimes students do, that have an acceptance rate below 10 or 12 percent, that it's even if you're a perfect student, it's not altogether unlikely that you wouldn't be accepted. Now, maybe... You were accepted to some schools, but you don't like those schools. Those were truly schools that you thought, well, I'm not going to have to go here. I don't, you know, I don't like them. So it's just as well. <laughs> it's basically the equivalent of not being accepted to any school. Right. So basically, the first thing you have to do is dissect why. What what went wrong?
1: Yeah. And I think that the, you know, as a student who actually, when I was in high school, I was rejected by seven of my top choices. And most of those choices were the kinds of schools that you're describing here. And I was in a position where I felt really discouraged by the decisions. And and mostly that was because my process of building the list had been problematic and not that there was anything wrong with me as a student. I still had lots to offer a college when I had a chance to attend it. And so I think Understanding some of those pieces, while that can be challenging, it is helpful to start to get you thinking about, okay, what's my next step kind of look like here. Um, I also think, Jen, that you know sometimes the schools where we maybe got in, let's say we didn't get into, you know, eight out of the ten schools where we applied, we got into our two no problem schools. Sometimes those could be schools that we really liked, but it is in the feeling that it sort of is inevitable, that we have to choose one of those now, that we don't have the other Mm -hmm. options, that makes them look like options that are not appealing to us anymore. How would you encourage a student to change their perspective when they've gotten all of these deny letters and the two schools where they've gotten in our schools where they'd always known that they were going to get in? Yeah,
3: that's a great question, Ian. And it's so interesting, sitting you know, on this side of the desk now, from my perspective, and seeing how schools that one student is completely, you know, turned off of, you know, for, for one reason or another, oh, I would never go there, could be another student's dream school, equally a yeah. you know, strong student. Like, it, that's what's so interesting to me, and I feel very fortunate to have that perspective, and I totally get it. You're absolutely right. You're a much nicer person than I am. We know that already, but you, can, <laughs> about you that. can't have that perspective when it's all about, you and you're still a little heartbroken, and you're going through the Groucho Marx syndrome of you don't want to be part of any club that would have you as a member. But know right. that there are students that this is their first choice. Really fabulous students. I don't care what you know what this school is. Really fabulous students. This is their first choice. They would love to go there. And you know, it's a very different conversation in COVID-19. You know, normally I would tell you to visit. You know, I'm still going to tell you the same things, which is to talk to students there that love it. Um, one of the best things about what's happening now with the quarantine is I'm finding that faculty members are much more willing and, and excited to talk to you online. I think that what you Need to do is approach those schools as if you really do want to get excited about them, if that's at all possible. Now we can talk, and we will talk about other options. But I think that since you do have, let's say, a couple of options that maybe they're not as appealing to, try to like pursue them as if you're, you know, this is it. These are my options, and think about what. Would love about them by finding out what students and faculty and the admissions office loved about that pool. And if you can try to get excited about it.
1: Yeah. I mean that that actually is terrific advice. And I, I remember going back all the way to my process. That's, that's what I had to do. And, you know, I, listeners will know that I went to Reed College. That's also where I worked in admission. What they probably don't know is that, you know, when I, when I visited in the spring, after I'd been admitted, I, I was not particularly excited about the school. Um, I, It didn't feel like a place that I necessarily was going to fit socially. And the things that I really got excited by were Um, visiting a lecture that was given by a a philosophy faculty who ultimately ended up being one of my advisors Um, and just sort of latching on to kind of the academic component. I I thought, you know, academics here at Reed are going to be a really strong fit for me and I'm going to prioritize that in my decision. I wanted a place where it was going to be everything I wanted all lined up for me and ready to go and I was going to plug myself in and love every minute of it. And when I showed up at Reed in the fall, I was expecting to really like the classes and not fully expecting to, you know, find my dream school in terms of social life and and connection and fit. That's something that actually came later. And it, it slowly I grew into that space. And all of my lifelong best friends are Reedies who I met while I was a student there. So it took some time for that to happen. But it did happen for me. And I I focused in on exactly the advice you're giving here, Jen, which is Find something that you really like about a school. Look at the elements of the institutions that you, you find are really compelling and persuasive. Because if you applied, there was a positive reason that you applied to that school at some point in time. So revisit and think about what those are and then weigh those different characteristics across multiple institutions. I I, I think that's really strong advice.
3: And even though you will know that people will fade you, that well, you can always transfer. You can go there and transfer. I actually would encourage the office that I would take that op- you know transferring off the table because I find that students that begin their experience as a college undergraduate thinking, "Well, I'm just this is just temporary," really never are able to fully embrace. So I would actually just erase that from your mind um, mm-hmm. as much as you can and be in it to win it as much as you can. And this is, you know, and I mean, even if you don't transfer, it's only four years, which, yes, at, you know, 18 years old is a long time. I get that. But it really isn't in the in the scheme of things. So I really actually am going to give you advice that uh, maybe you would feel differently, maybe someone else would feel differently. But I feel strongly that don't think about this as a temporary thing, even though, you know, somewhere in the back of your mind that it could be. Because it certainly could be. Nobody's forcing you to go there or stay there. But really think about this as: How am I going to truly make the most of this? Because remember, there are kids that, and alumni, and and people that love this school, and and how do I get to be one of them?
1: Yeah. No, I love that. And actually, we did a, a show probably three years ago, maybe four years ago, where we interviewed um, an alumni of the a, alumna of the college coach program, and she had gone to a particular school because it was the only place she got in, She had an intention to transfer, but her approach to that was instead of sort of having one foot in, she jumped in with both feet. She thought I'm going to connect with Mm -hmm. faculty. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to be a part of clubs. I'm going to make friends because it'll make my transfer application that much stronger and you know, this is how I'm going to do it. And so she applied as a transfer at the end of her, I believe her second year, she got in everywhere she applied as a transfer student, but she stayed at the school that she had chosen, Mm -hmm. because by that point she was so invested in the experience that she was like, why would I want to leave? I love this place. And, and so you can surprise yourself, I think, with what these experiences are and, and how they might look to you. Um, Jen, I want to pragmatically, let's say a student really, you know, for whatever reason there are, you know, sometimes it's sort of like, I don't really want to consider this option. And I think that there, you've given some great advice for how to focus on that. There might be some reasons that certain options where you've gotten in are no longer options. Maybe the financial uh, situation has changed. Um, maybe you actually didn't get in anywhere. Um, what are some sort of practical things for those students who it's not just a matter of taste, but now it's a matter of, of really opportunity and they, they can't choose one of the schools where they've been offered admission or they don't have an offer. How might they approach, you know, the next few weeks and, and into the fall?
3: Absolutely. And and before I get into that, and I will answer that question, I just want to tell you that, you know, there's no, I don't have any data on this. This is just personal anecdotes. I know far more students who became happy with places that they didn't think they were going to be happy, then students who went into something thinking this is my dream school and discovered that it really wasn't. you know what I mean? So I just, yeah. I don't want to turn anyone, I don't want to make anyone anxious, you know, my dream school isn't going to be my dream school, but I've seen more, you know, students go in the direction of feeling good about a place that they weren't exactly thrilled about for whatever reason. Um. So to answer your question, there's I'm going to take you through all the options. The, the first Thing is something called a postgraduate year. It's very expensive. It's usually and frequently used by athletes as an opportunity to um, get another year of playing experience in high school to maybe uh, build their, literally build their muscles, grow, develop, um, or for them to build um, more of an academic portfolio to go to the types of schools where they would be um, good recruited athletes. Um, I'm just mentioning this because it exists. I get questions about it, and um, they exist as a you you basically do a year thirteen if you will at um, a private uh, secondary school, and it can be quite expensive and it's not a it's not a common thing but it certainly is done and it can help some students in in some situations get accepted to schools that they um, weren't accepted to or that they always wanted to be accepted to so that's sort of the first thing um, the second thing is to know that you you, need, you might need to change your list around pretty significantly. And and so what I mean by that is that if you apply to all of those schools that have less than, you know, 15% acceptance rates or really the uber, uber competitive, you know, places, even if you have perfect scores, even if you have a perfect GPA in all APs, there's really very little that is going to change about your application, no matter what you do, potentially to get into those schools if you didn't already because yeah. once you i'm sorry did you
1: no yeah no go ahead i'm i'm agreeing
3: yeah. with you um, yeah so a trance so we talked about transferring, as soon as you enroll at a college or university, usually for over a semester as an enrolled student, you, you go into a different pool, you go into the transfer pool. If you don't enroll at a college or university, you can still apply as a freshman, first-year student, but the problem with that is is that there's really very little you can do to make your application more impressive. So remember, the first thing I said is you have to dissect why. You possibly weren't accepted, perhaps it's because the admissions you know process was just too rigorous, and your application didn't sing or pop, perhaps it's because you applied to too many highly selective schools, um, but very rarely is it a question of you didn't get in because your essays weren't as strong it 's the whole package, and there's the package is the um, accumulated experience of four years. So remember, you are a senior. The next application deadline is arguably in November for early decision or the earlier deadlines, and then the rest of them, you know, applications have to be in by January. There's very little can do, even if it's like a grand, you know, tour around the world, you know, doing service wherever you go, that's really going to change what effectively is going to be 90, 95% of your application. Um, So, having said that, if you're able to sort of simultaneously perhaps change the places to which you apply... Um, and do something. We, we had another segment. I talked with Beth, um, our colleague, about a gap year and what you could do over a gap year. There are things you can do to give yourself the time away from school without being, um, you know, considered a transfer student. Service projects, working, but you have to make sure that this is what your application kind of needs. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to first yes. figure out, going back to the very first thing I said, okay, where are the deficits here? And am I working on the right things to improve those deficits? Um, and that's not necessarily an easy, you know, process, but um, that, that's the first thing that has to be addressed.
1: That's right. And so there, there's a lot, I mean, a lot of this advice is really around looking at yourself, um, doing this sort of op- autopsy, really being honest with yourself about what the positive values are for some of the schools where you've gotten in. And then, you know, being honest with yourself as well about what opportunities you have to improve your record. So there's a lot of introspection that happens here. And I think that if you do this the right way, you can get a little, a lot of positive value from this portion of the experience. So Jen, I want to thank you for, for coming on. And, and talking us through some of this is a, is a tough conversation, but um, is really a help, I think, for our listeners.
3: There are very, well, there are a lot of cases where I'm like, we can help you, we can help you. But this is really one of those things where I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that, but I really do feel that someone who has this experience needs to be able to have a perspective on your applications to help you understand what, what might have gone not the way you wanted it to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally fair, Jen. Um, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, hopefully this has been a, a help for some of those families that are listening out there. Thanks for having me, Ian. You got it. Uh, folks, when we come back, we are going to talk about financial fit in the college research process and, you know, for you seniors as well. So don't go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in.
5: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation.
1: All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. We've, we're here in our final segment for today's episode of Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. And joining us for this segment is my colleague, Stacey McFeeters, out in Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, who is here to help talk to us about the role of college finance in determining fit so fit is a really interesting concept when we talk about the college selection process. We're talking about location and size and activities and major and all of these different things. But I think, Stacy, that often families don't think about financial fit in the same kind of way. Um, it almost seems like an afterthought. It's not a part of the process of choosing colleges as they go. And so I want to spend some time today talking about financial fit, both for juniors and seniors because sure. things have changed quite a bit um okay. in the last couple of weeks as it pertains to seniors but let's start with our initial planned conversation which is to talk a little bit about juniors okay that um, sounds great. and and the role of sort of how financial fit you know enters yep. into this process yep. so just to start with do families have sort of absolute yes consider these schools and no, don't consider these schools based on price lists. Is that a good place to start or is there, I'm imagining a little more nuance in that process?
5: So there's a lot more nuance in that process. Okay. So the answer to the question is kind of interesting because if you had said to me, do families come to you with an absolute notion, yes, apply to these schools based on cost, or no, don't apply to these schools based on cost? They do that all the time. Yeah. Um, but the actual answer to the question is I would never have a family eliminate a school based on their sticker price at the beginning of the process. Um, You know, I think we all know that there's a lot of things that go into financing a college education, including the monies that are being offered elsewhere. And ultimately it's not what the sticker is on, on the price of that window um, at that college. It's what ultimately you as a family would pay out of pocket. So that's always what we want to drive families to. Right. And I, I think that, that, you know,
1: There are families that understand that better than others. And in my experience, at least, it seems like the families that often can benefit most from institutional aid or from scholarships are the ones who are turning away from colleges because of that sticker price. Um, So just as a definition, sticker price um, and net price, what are the the differences there? And how can families try and find the gap between those two numbers and and what that's going to mean for them?
5: Yeah, so sticker price is exactly what it sounds like. When you go onto a college website, you take a look at their costs, and they're going to tell you their tuition and fees are X, their estimated room and board is Y, and then they're even going to give you estimates for books and supplies and transportation and all of those things. That's really the sticker. That's sort of the cost. The real costs are obviously the tuition and fees and the room and board if the student lives on campus. The net price is actually the difference between that sticker price um, and what uh you, you know you obviously subtract from that any money that you might be offered from the school in sort of free form and what i mean by that is if you've been awarded any merit scholarships or any need based grant aid or a combination of those things when you subtract that from the sticker price you're going to actually have your net price your net price is what you need to be looking at you won't know your net price when just opening you know your computer or your 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 uh, your guide to schools for the first time. So that's why I always say to families, don't eliminate anything. Let's get into the process. and then once we start, we can determine whether or not we think it it's it sort of falls into your family's um you know fit spectrum from a finance perspective.
1: and so could you theoretically just grab a hundred students at a particular campus and see that they are paying? a hundred different amounts in terms Absolutely. of their their tuition bills. Absolutely. So, and that's all based on scholarship packages, maybe need-based financial aid calculations, all of those things. And so yep. I think some people will say, well, this school costs this much and that's it. Right. But the reality is that for every student, there's potentially a different price associated with what their attendance is going to be.
5: Absolutely. Um, and and if you don't mind me giving you an example, sure. um, when I was director of financial aid, I worked at, at a particular college where our, our single largest competitor was one of our state uh, state universities. So I think when people think about cost, the first thing they think of is, well, you know, we're going to go with in-state public because it's cheapest. Right. And the reality is that's not always true. Uh, at, at you know at the sticker value, probably it is. But a lot of schools, like the school that I was a director of financial aid at, part of the job of the financial aid director in or admissions person is to bring students in that they want to attend the most, and often that would mean me bringing our sticker price lower than our state competitor by virtue of of grants and scholarships. So I think that's what families need to understand is, you know, everybody knows what, you know, that 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 a a public school is sort of cheaper, but at the end of the day, they're never awarding the same quantities of dollars that 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 their their private counterparts are. So often I see it every day where families assume that they their their state school would have been cheaper, but at the end of the day, the the private schools with their full mix of offering ultimately became less expensive than the than the state counterpart
1: and then private schools can be strategic because they can often count on what that public cost is going to be they can okay. look at a particular student and say all right let's try and get underneath that number exactly Um, Now, one of the things that I've always been a little bit foggy on is these net price calculators are obviously really good at um, need-based financial aid because you can plug in some information about your income and they'll tell you what you might qualify for. What is the role of scholarships in a net price calculator? Is there a way to enter in things like test scores or GPA or other things that might qualify for a scholarship? Or is it really a wait and see when you get an offer of admission, what that um, package is going to look like?
5: That's, That's an awesome question. So just to circle Back, uh, net price calculator is basically a, a tool that every school is required to have on their website that mm-hmm. will, in essence, give families an estimate of what they might qualify for um, in, in, in aid. Um, and I'm using the word aid loosely. Generally speaking, every school will tell you what your need-based financial aid eligibility would be. Very few schools tie into that their merit scholarships as well. There are some. Mm-hmm. So here's my rule of thumb for folks, or pro tip, is if when you're entering your information into the net price calculator, which I encourage every family to do at every school that they're considering, Mm -hmm. if you're only entering financial information, you're not going to see merit. If they're also asking you for the student's GPA and test scores, you're probably going to get a pretty good merit estimate. Mm -hmm. Don't assume if you don't see merit that they don't offer it. So you know it's a little tricky to get a really good net price. Um, but just know that, you know, that's one place to look, check the school's websites, um, in other places to see if they might list what their private scholarships are. They just don't share the criteria.
1: So let's say you and I are working together with a family and Mm -hmm. I'm on the admission side, you're on the college finance side, and I'm working with them on their college list. And so we've got the no problem schools, the just right schools, the challenging schools all all across the list. Where does the college finance portion sort of enter into that process? I'm going to help them look at, you know, let's consider different academic options and methods of teaching and extracurricular activities. And we're going to put that into a spreadsheet and do a lot of research. But that can't exist just on its own, right? right. I mean, it, we have exactly. to also fold in this college finance piece. So where does that come into play? And how do we give that the same level of attention as we're yep. giving these other things? Yep. So that,
5: fantastic question. And and I give you full credit for understanding that working together on this works the best. Um, yep. and, and I've had the good fortune of working with you in this way. Um, so really what we want to do is we want to consider every school on the list, and whether or not, based on what they offer, that school becomes financially viable. Now, financially mm-hmm. viable and financial fit are two different things, but you've got to understand viability first, right? So what I mean by that is, let's just say, for example, I, I'd love to use the examples. We're a family that knows they're not going to qualify for any need-based aid. Mm-hmm. So without merit scholarships, the sticker price is pretty close to what they're going to pay. But they're, they're financially sensitive. So you might come to me and say, here's a list. There's four schools that are challenging four just right four that are no problem. Off the top, I can tell you, those four challenging schools are probably not going to yield the merit.
4: Because mm-hmm. when you
5: think about merit scholarships, you want to remember that merit scholarships are really the money that schools use to recruit the state students that they want the most. If right. it's a challenge for that student. Probably not the you know going to be sort of their their prime candidate, so I then have the family focus on those other two categories, probably more so the no problem than anything else, and then invite them to accept that maybe a very significant scholarship from a, a no problem school might make it as attractive to you as a family um, in the long run because of the financial viability. then financial fit is sort of the other piece, and I'll just touch on this for one second we can. No, know, please. Expand. Um, when I talk about financial fit, one of the things I really urge families to do as early as possible junior year, sophomore year, freshman year, think about as a family, what you believe you can pay for in terms of college and set that price in your mind, have the conversation with the student so that we're not sitting on April 9th, um, trying to make a decision in their senior year when you realize, wow, we shouldn't have seen this all the way through. We can't afford this, Um, have the conversation early. And that means, you know, you might say, this is our number, but it doesn't mean you only look for schools that cost that you now take everything that we've talked about to say does that school cost that for us and mm-hmm. that's where fit also comes into play
1: that's right and and you know i think that you know sometimes you'll see families that will i think there's a difference between smart planning around the list and saying you know these no problem schools are likely to offer me merit if that's a policy that they have and sort of hoping Right. Yep. To say, well, yep. let's see if the school comes up with a particular kind of offer that we're surprised by. And it makes it connects the dots. I mean, how do you sort of advise families to think about the concept of, you know, uh, applying to a school that looks like it's going to be sticker price high, but, you know, they're not sure what the cost is going to be. Do you discourage that or do you say, let's see what comes in? Like, yep. uh, how yep. do they sort of draw lines around that part yep. of the process? If that makes sense.
5: So the good news, if families are working with us, we have a very significant amount of experience in this area. So there are a lot of schools, vast majority of schools that we can take a look at and say, Yeah, I think that from your qualifications and what we've seen historically and what they offer, we feel confident that we that you would be offered some merit. Sure. Um so when we take that sort of question and then we say, okay, if we think you're going to qualify for merit and it brings it in range of what you as a family think you might be able to do, I would say go for it, roll the dice. But I also urge, as do you, in all the ways, don't get your heart set on a school until you've done all the work. So you've applied everywhere. You've done all of your due diligence from the academic and admission perspective. You've done everything from the finance perspective. And now you're sitting down and making your decision, which I know you've already talked about today, and you're looking at everything. That's when you make the decision as to whether or not you know, you want, you want to leave the school in or not. But again, if your heart is set on something and the finances don't work out, you got to be willing to walk away.
1: And that that raises an important question, which is, you know, sort of our final piece of this today, which is that you can have a family that at this point in time has done everything right. They've considered financial fit. They have had the conversation and it's now April. The markets have tanked. Maybe people are being laid off. How does that concept of financial fit shift dramatically or should it in this period of time? How do you think about sort of the coming months and years ahead um, now that things are very different?
5: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that obviously we're dealing with every day. And I think the reality is you as a family need to sort of almost, you know, reconsider what your initial fit was and think down the road, could you find yourselves back in that position? Not today, maybe not even this year, but Mm -hmm. in the sort of scope of time that you had envisioned, can you still make that financial fit work? And that doesn't mean four years. It could mean that you as a family decide to finance and that financing might be 10 years. If that you feel is still comfortable enough to you, then I think you can take that leap. If you are absolutely not certain and you just you know, have all the fears that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of options. Um, but I think every family making decisions right now needs to orig- remember what their original perspective was. Mm -hmm. visit where they feel like they are today, visit where they feel like they're going to be next year, the year after and the year after that. And I think in some ways you might find yourselves back at your original perspective. And if you don't find where you think you're going to be comfortable. And I think we've said this Mm. in every instance. Um, Also reach out to the schools that you're working with. They're responding. Um, Just 20 minutes ago, I saw a, a note from a family that I was working with that had some very significant changes in the last four weeks, their dream school stepped up. Um, nice. so just have the conversations. They're prepared to have them. The worst they can say is maybe it won't work out.
1: I love, I love the way, I mean, so many of my colleagues on the finance side of the desk have talked about communication, communication, communication. And I think that it's just so important to underscore that, that, you know, colleges are receptive. They want to help you make things work and everybody's in this together in this, yeah. this situation. So, so we understand where it's coming from. And I think you know, high school kids are understanding it too. And so it's a great opportunity to have those, those conversations with your kids. Um, Stacey, thanks for joining us. That was uh, that was a great segment. It was, it was great to see you as well. Thanks, you too. Take care. All right. Be so, well, folks,
5: everyone.
1: Yeah, that does it for today's show. And, and we hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Maybe you learned a little something in the process. We always hope for that. Remember, if you'd like to add a face to the voices, and you're a podcast listener, you can make your way to our Facebook page. That's at facebook.com slash college coach. And we post videos of our radio show segments each week. Next week is an exciting show with an all-external lineup of guests. So Beth Heaton's going to be back. She's unpacking the biggest myths of the college admission process. She's going to dive into the ROTC options for students. And they'll actually be taking a deeper look at institutional financial health with our friends over at Edmit. Uh, So it's a trio of really terrific guests, and and you won't want to miss it. Until next time, keep safe, stay home, and wash your hands. And we'll see you here next week.